We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanov. Today, we are heading down to my second home, well, virtually, New York City to talk with our next guest. He's a writer, artistic director, and acted in one of my favorite musicals of all time, Five Guys Named Mo. Let's oh. waste no more time. You know what? I'm so sorry. That was terrible. <laughs> That's just, but you know what? I'm leaving it. I did it. Yes, it's a it, terrible. It. <laughs> Let's welcome to the show, Daryl Rubin Hall. Daryl, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, John Paul. I love that. No more time. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for not leaving after that pun, just turning off Zoom. And, and oh, no, no, no. I am here to stay. We're going to ride this wave together. So, yes, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, look, I want to take it back to the beginning. When, when you were growing up, were you always into theater and musical theater? Or is that something you discovered a little bit later in life? That is a, that's an excellent question because I always have to explain to people that I never ever thought that I would become a professional artist, actor, singer, dancer, whatever, ever, ever in my life, never. And as a child, what I remember most is like with all the other kids in the neighborhood, I always wanted to organize like everybody's birthday party. I always wanted to, I remember the Jerry Lewis telethon used to come on and there would be like these carnival fundraiser things. And every year I would order the kits and, you know, oh, let me do this. And, but I never pulled off the carnival, but I just, it was always so exciting. But then, and then the other thing, um, I always like imagine that I was competing in the Summer Olympics in the gymnastics thing. So all of us would be running in the backyard and flipping and I couldn't flip. I was too, I, I, I could do back bends and all of that. But what I could do was a split. So <laughs> I would always win like the gold medal because I could do a split, you know? So I, I always had that inkling as a child, but uh, moving forward to high school, I was in the band. I started in music education in the band. I played percussion section leader, drum section leader. And um, that's, I started that in seventh grade. Still didn't have an inkling of my future. And then I went to middle school, of course, and then high school. And there was one particular high school that I just had to grow up and be in this marching band. I thought they were absolutely amazing. And I have to give them a shout out. That is the William Marion Reigns Marching High School Band of Jacksonville, Florida. And that's what I did. That was a goal of mine as a child. And I grew up and became a band member at Women Reigns High School. And I was section leader there as well. And we had this reputation of creating these very like soulful halftime shows. And we had a dance committee, which within the band and most of, the, of, of those persons were the session leaders. So you know, I was just, you know, just like club, like whatever, hip hop, whatever they want to call it. And I remember the drama teacher, she stopped me one day. She said, Daryl, I saw you dancing on the uh, field the other day uh, after school with the band. And uh, have you ever thought about doing it professionally? And I really seriously did not have a clue as to what she was really talking about. I had no idea. I probably had heard of ballet. We were not exposed. I, I, I would like to say that in Jacksonville, you have the north side and the south side, and the north side is predominantly black side. And I really was not exposed to professional theater, the arts, dance, any of that. Of course, I had heard of plays and kindergarten play the Easter program at the church, you know, all of those types of things. But just to pursue it professionally, never had anyone really guiding me in that arena. And so Mrs. Parker said that to me and it kind of went in one ear and out the other, but it did stick with me. I can't say that it fully went out the other ear. It did stick with me. But then I went to Florida Anime University. I was in the marching band there. And then after that, I went home, I went back home because I was part of my church then heavily in the church then and stayed home for a long time until I went back to school at University of Florida on a scholarship. And that's when I started like this whole thing. I was, I still had this passion in me and I, I actually have a degree in architecture. Like I graduated from University of Florida with a degree in architecture and Disney came up one summer 
and they held their auditions on the campus. I got hired for that. I got into the University of Florida Gospel Choir. That was a singing thing that I had to do. And I, the first year I was there, I auditioned for the University of Florida Dance Company. I think they've changed the name now. And I, like I said, I really had no training in anything. I had no training in singing. I had no training in, in dance. It was just something that I felt that was part of me that I had to do. Like it was my gift and my purpose on this earth. That's how I look at it now. And so in between all of my architecture classes, which I was really bored with, I ended up getting like three scholarships while at University of Florida. I studied my senior year over in Vicenza, Italy. I was bored out of my wits. It's just, I just bored. I was like, oh my God, do I have to draw another line? Do I have to cut another model? Paste? Where's the glue? Where? And staying up all night long doing these projects. And it was just, and, and I made A's some of the times. And then when I got burnt out and just didn't like it anymore, of course, those A's dropped out a little lower, but I graduated. And after I graduated from University of Florida, I had that job at Disney. And so I moved to Orlando. I gave my parents the inkling that, and there was a firm that was acting somewhat interested in hiring me, but I didn't, I wasn't really returning the cause. I was like, I do not want to spend the rest of my days in a building, in a space, in an architecture firm, drafting and this and that, and look, look at this window and look at this floor plan. And I just did not want to do all of that. It was not me. And I auditioned for the Orlando Arpa Company. And it's so funny because they had posted um, this audition notice like three months prior, two, month, two or three months prior to the audition so that you could prepare. I think it was three arias, two in a foreign language and one in English. And like I said, I never had never studied voice. So I don't know what I was thinking when I thought, oh, I'll just drive to the mall, pick up a cassette tape. And we were actually using cassette tapes then, a cassette tape and I'll just <laughs> learn the aria from you know, the tape. So like I said, I had never studied anything. And I did study Italy when we had to go to Vicenza, that was a requirement. But still to sing it, I had never studied that. So I waited and probably could have gotten some assistance some help from professional coaches or whatever. I waited for maybe a week or two weeks before the audition. Mind you, they posted it like two or three months earlier for you to prepare this. So I bought this uh, this cassette tape, took it home, popped it into the player, and I was like, "What in the world are they saying? What are they doing? How do I don't I can't do this?" And all this stuff, and I was like, "No, this is not going to work." So I waited for the audition date. I went to the audition. It was held at a church. I think uh, off of Orange Blossom Trail Road or something like that, Colonial, Colonial Drive. I can't believe I remember that. And I drove to the church and I walked to the front entrance of the church and I opened the door and I remember seeing the judging panel out in the pews and there was one person up in the pulpit singing. And I think she was up there with her hands clasped and, oh, this and I was like, oh God, I need to go home. Why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> and so then I said, no, I'm here. I drove over here. I'm going to wait until she finishes and I'm going to let them know that I don't have any arias prepared. Should I stay? Should I go home? So I waited and I walked up to the committee. It was like, excuse me, I'm here to audition, but I don't have any arias prepared. And uh, I know his name now, I didn't know him then, but Brian turned to me and said, uh, so what do you have? And I said, well, I have some show tunes. And they were like, okay, well, we'll hear those, but you have to wait in the back. So I go into the back room and everyone's like all just, you know, dressed. I was just a graduate student. Like I didn't know anything, you know, I wasn't like dressed horribly, but I didn't go dressed up in a suit, you know. And they're all talking to each other and, oh, I think, um, oh yeah, it's Professor So-and-so. Oh yeah, I studied with Dr. da 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 you know, all this stuff. And so I got into a little corner because I can be an introvert. It's funny how I'm an extrovert on stage, but when I'm off stage, I will crawl into a corner in a minute. Yeah. And so I filled out this paperwork and it felt like it didn't happen this way, but it felt like they skipped over everyone else in the room and was like, oh, let's just call this little kid out or whatever and, and <laughs> send him home. So I went out and they were like, what do you have? And when I was at University of Florida, I did take a musical theater uh, course as an electron, elective 
what do they call that? But yeah. yeah, elective. Yeah. Yeah, elective. And so um, they, they said, what do you have? I said, oh, I had done Be a Lion from the Wiz, which was, I had to sing that because it, uh, it always felt right in my range, my vocal range. And then I did Oklahoma. And of course, they did not know what BLIN was in the West. So, you know, it's an opera company. So they said, okay, we're in Oklahoma. So I'm trying to make it sound like legit as possible. I'm not really, a, a, I, I can do legit, but that's not really what I am to the core of me. Yeah. And so they're like, Oklahoma, I say, okay, let me just try to do this, you know, legit. Oklahoma, whatever, you know, trying to do all this stuff. And so then, uh, okay, we'll hear the other one. And I said, well, I'm probably not going to get hired for this anyway. So I'm just going to take this to church and riff it up and down. And so I blew, I blew Be a Lion down. Like I just, I just blew it down. I, I love the song. And they asked me a series of questions, you know, do you read music? And, and I was in the band. So I read instrumental music. I was not a vocal reader, and which is what I think they meant but I didn't let them know that. They asked the question, do you read music? Yes, I read music. <laughs> so um, one day I had just moved to graduate from University of Florida, moved to New York, uh, Orlando, and had not had my phone turned on yet. So I went to work at Disney and they had a message on the call board, Daryl, please call Orlando Opera Company. And I was like, <gasps> I was like, oh, I got it. And I called and I got it. And the first rehearsal, um, they started talking about pay and I, I didn't know it was a paying job or anything. It was just something that I saw a notice and I was like, let me go to this audition. This is what I really want to do is perform. And still at this time, I did not think that I would end up being a professional actor. I just never, even now, I mean, even then at that point, I still had not had that thought in my head. So that pretty much was the start of it. And then from there, it just was a series of steps. Like I got, I got the union card. I mean, we, I can tell you all of that. I, I would like to share it if you have time. So it was just really a huge series of steps that led me to where I am now. And I've been in New York since 1996. So, wow, that's crazy. That, that it was. <laughs> but you you know what I, I you hear stories of, of people you know i've been known since i was two and three i, I wanted to do musical theater and then yeah. i but i love stories where you know what mm -hmm. you discover i discovered my wanting to do it later in life as well yeah. um but yeah going through so question is what type of skills do architecture translate into musical theater and singing okay. well here's one thing and, and i'm going to skip around some yeah one thing, I, I do own my own theater company now, Stage Aurora Theatrical Company. Mm -hmm. I've had it. I started it, I would say we started programming in maybe 1999, then I got the 501c3 status in 2001. And I designed the sets. Like I, if I had, if we were doing The Wiz, if we did The Color Purple, if we did uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or Driving Miss Daisy, I designed all the sets. That's the one thing that I could say that I still have with me is, is those drafting skills nice. to be able to take the edge and, and measure. And, and that's what we do. I can design the walls. I do all of that. You know, if we have to cut a window here, so all of that. And then at one point I used to build a model, you know, cause the, the larger theatrical institutions, they'll actually build the set design so that it's a 3D yeah. representation of what it should look like, a model. I don't do that. It takes me too much back to architecture. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I have, where's the glue? Let me do this. I mean, no, I don't do that much anymore. If someone asked for it, I would, but I'm usually very uh, visual in how I explain that something should look or you know how it should be built or what it should look like. So I would say that would be the comparison and that would be the benefit of me studying architecture in college. I love when two different weird, not, it's not weird, but weird for musical theater skill sets can translate over and, yeah. and, and use yeah. them. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And then even when you're staging and directing just the use of the space, you know, if, if something should be symmetrical, if it should be asymmetrical, I still remember like all of that, you know, <laughs> it kind of never really leaves. Yeah. And but but the more I would say the more structural elements of architecture, no, the stuff that is really really boring, no. <laughs> I care about the brackets, and I don't. I you know, 
No, no, we won't. No, <laughs> not for that. After I had sang with Orlando Opera for three seasons, the first opera that when I was hired, we took the Mikado over to France and mm -hmm. they didn't take the entire company. They chose singers from each section that they wanted to go with them. And I was a newbie, but they still chose me to go. So of course, when I get over there, one of the older members is like, Daryl, you know, there are lots of people back home that really have a problem with you being here. And I was like, I really don't care. It's a shame that people tell people things like this. It's like if they, the director and all of them chose me over the other people been in the company for years, that is not, I have nothing to do with it. If they liked my performance better or voice better then that's it's what it is. So anyway, did that for a long time, stayed in Orlando for three years until I got a cruise ship job. And I, that job took me to South Florida. And then all the while, one of my very dear friends, God sister, sister, our parents, you know, were, were very, very tight coming up and she and I know each other basically from the crib up. Yeah. She was into the um, Miss Florida pageant circuit and she was beginning to branch out with her entertainment career. And I remember calling her one day, I was down in South Florida and I was like, Angela, I was like, I, I just, I don't know, Florida, just the work and, you know, being a black artist. And sometimes, you know, you get in these shows and they just want to put you in the ensemble, all this type of thing. And, and, but you know that your voice is, if not better than just as good as someone doing playing a principal role, you know, and she was like, she laid it right out for me. You know how your real friends lay it out. Yeah. Daryl, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore. I, and I still tease her about it to this day. <laughs> I don't want to hear it anymore. You're a triple threat. And these guys, because she had moved to New York by this point. And she's like, you need to move to New York, but you need to get your equity card and da da da, just going on and on and on. And it was in the, you know, the lovingly sister yeah. correction that needs to be told. And and I listened and I was like, wow, she's right. I've outgrown Florida. That's how I looked at it. Like I did all the theme parks in Central Florida. I did Bush Gardens in Tampa. I did all Disney, Universal Studios, Cypress Gardens. I did dinner theater there, industrials, commercials, everything. And I was still bored. Like I was bored in architecture. I was like, there's more, there's more. And so Sesame Street National Tour came I was living in South Florida, Sesame Street National Tour was coming to Orlando for auditions. And I knew some other people from Disney who had gotten their equity card from Sesame Street National Tour. And I was like, okay, so here's an opportunity for me to get my equity card. Let me drive up from South Florida to Orlando for this audition. So please tell me why this Saturday that I hopped in my car that should have been a two hour drive, two hour and a half hours at the minimum, at the very least, to get there. And I get on I-95 North and there was road construction. And one lane, only one lane was open from like Fort Lauderdale all the way up to almost Central Florida. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm gonna get there late. I'm gonna get there at the end. And at first I was like, okay. It just wasn't moving at all, one lane. So I literally got to the audition at the end of the audition. I got, I kid you not. She was wrapping up the last combination. I stood on the side. I said, I'm so sorry, but I just drove up from South Florida. There was road construction. She said, let me wrap up this last group and I'll see you. And she wrapped up that last thing, sent everybody home. And it was really a blessing in disguise because she got to see me one on one to see that I could do everything. And then I booked the job and I got my equity card. That's wow. exactly what happened. And I moved up here to New York with Angela, but in the meanwhile, because of my hometown being not so up on black theater, I knew that I wanted to start a black theater company. I knew that I wanted to, there should be more opportunities. There should be someone in the community teaching the entire city, you know, about black theater and that was something that I largely wanted to do so I always felt that let me move to New York learn from the cream of the crop because I didn't want just a typical theater that was not I didn't study theater in college you know not as a major and so I want I don't want to just throw up something you know the backyard theater company or whatever so I moved here in 1996 
And after I got the equity card and then I started everything that I did here and I meditated on the name of it because I wanted it to be something very special, have a personal meaning for me and came up with Stage Award, theatrical company, theater that enlightens. And to date we've produced over 200 productions. We've garnered a ton of awards, but it's been a lot of like mountains to climb. It is so difficult and the fundraising. And I remember when September 11th happened and the economy took a turn and funding took a turn. Now here we are with the pandemic, you know, some, but COVID kind of brought some funding to some organizations so that we could sustain our operations. And that was pretty much it that I knew that I wanted to have my own theater company. And I've hired Broadway artists, you know, guest artists. And now I'm looking to branch out in New York with the 501c3 here, because now I have it in both Florida and in New York. Very nice. You know, congratulations on everything. Um, yeah. And 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 thank you to that traffic on I-95 for messing things up I, but in a good way. And, and I will have to be honest about that because I'm I'm a very spiritual person. So yeah. I'm the whole while I'm like, God, why does this have to happen to me? I don't get it. Why? It's just always me. Why? You know, I'm all just yeah. frantic. And I get there, then like three months later, I'm like, oh, oh well, um, yeah, I remember I had this conversation with you, you know, so, and so that was really like, it was really a blessing in disguise and I did not see it that way. I didn't. Not, not at that moment when you're sitting behind the I wheel, how could you, right? Not at that moment, exactly. So, so I love what, I've, I've been to the website of the, the Stage Aurora uh, and and I love what you've done and everything. And you've got outreach programs, which are fantastic. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what they do and how they help. You know, I because I create original musicals, and, I, and this is going to line up with that question. I have a musical now that I started really in 1996, and it's finally getting to the point to where I, it's nearing completion. But when I, I submitted this project to a development program, and it was chosen. And the one of the the guy, um, one of the producers of this program, he and his wife run it, Tim and Pamela Kashani. I don't think they'll mind me mentioning their name, but it's a theater accelerated program and they're Broadway producers. And when they interviewed me for this program, he actually said, Daryl, it's amazing what you've done with the kids. You know, it's really amazing. This is exactly what I told him. I said, they are probably the most rewarding part of this organization especially, and, and he always gives me a shout out, like on social media or whatever, but Andre Troutman is one, when you've seen a child in your programming from seventh grade, I think he started with me seventh grade, so he probably would have been 13 or 14, to now being a professional musician in California. Um, there's AJ, she is now married, a mom, but she's a music teacher. She got a music scholarship and they all give me credit for, their parents give me credit for introducing them to theater. But they came to my organization through the summer camp. We did a performing arts summer institute sponsored by the Jacksonville Children's Commission. And it would, the first year they did it, I think it was 10 weeks. And I think the years after that, the money started dwindling with the commission itself so then we would only do like a six-week camp or something like that but that's the most rewarding thing because there are tons of others um takira kelly she moved up here she got her degree in theater um kayla grace they always tease me because i call her first name and middle name that's not her like grace is not her last name it's her middle name and i like it just has a ring to it kayla grace that's a ring <laughs> and uh, so she has her degree in theater but they were these right they were kids they were like middle schoolers and i don't think elementary but now even now i can say the city of jacksonville is now aware of black theater productions like august wilson so they're all doing all these plays and musicals now which stage aurora brought to the city of jacksonville before that it was nothing every now and then maybe one theater might do something you know once or twice a year but now it's more open and more diverse, I think. So, yeah. Congratulations on starting that program and, and everything you've done. We, the, the theater world and just the world in general, I think needs more people like yourself who, you know, it's, you're, you're doing what you love, but you're also helping 
people and and bringing um you know more people into theater and to discover it it's it it always it it always surprises me but it doesn't how few people go to the theater like i heard a statistic where only one in four kids have been in a theater and i'm like right it just it boggles my mind and and and, and we need people like yourself to help foster this the theatrical world because it is it's for everybody yes one other program is the 100 Youth Voices musical theater program. And that would be an after-school program where we taught the kids musical theater. We would just, let's say, for example, there's the musical number that's in Sister Act. Mm-hmm. Sister Act 2? Whichever one has the joyful, joyful Lord, we, that one. Yeah, I think it's Sister Act 2, but the kids know it. Yeah, because so, get to do the hip hop moves and you know they do all of that and they sing it. They would already know the number. I would like I couldn't remember the lyrics. They would already know the number, and we would use those moments to introduce to them. Hey, this is musical theater. It's literally called musical theater. This is that you learn. This you have to learn how to stand on stage. If it's center stage, stage right, stage left. We taught all of that. Downstage, upstage, cross on the diagonal, profile, all of it. The lighting choreography they know those terms you know i didn't have a lot of time to actually teach musical theater dance you know step but we would do simple things and sometimes i would allow the kids the participant to choreograph their mm-hmm. own steps because they would probably know a whole lot more than i would, you know so but um those were some really really good days and i think Sometimes it's easier to even work with the kids because they want to be there and they want to learn. Some of the other productions with the adults, that's the whole different interview. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's a totally different interview. Yeah. For sure. And 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 the kids are always fun. I love working with, with, yeah, with kids yeah. because they have this energy that I don't have anymore. Um, but but I, they also, you know, a lot of them, I'm, I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong in this program, aren't necessarily going to go into that as a career, but just have right. a passion and a love. And, and it builds their confidence and it and it gives them skills that they're going to translate right. like your architecture. You yes. never th- realized it can be yes. used in musical theater, yes. but th- what they learn in musical theater will be taken out and used in the real world. Yes. Even when I what, did had, did the outreach programs with the youth, youth, I never thought that, oh, there I would have five students that would go to college and you know get scholarships and get degrees in theaters. I was really just trying to introduce it to them, but I never really sat down to think that. Yeah. Oh, they're going to go graduate and get their degree in theater. And I just never thought. And so when they would contact me and I would, oh my God, you did what? You know, and the moms would tell me, I was like, wow, okay. All right. And then that's when I really realized the impact of what I've done. That's when I really realized it. Yeah. It's funny. You you never realized, like you said, the impact until later. Because my my, my lady friend, she's a teacher and, you know, she teaches thousands of kids yes. but when they come to them after and say miss yeah. you made a difference in my life you don't even realize it and and it, it uh, when the people say it to me it's, it's weird to be honest it's it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did that oh, oh okay. right, right. I, I, like, that wasn't my plan but I, I, i'm glad right 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 yeah you just never know because it's so much hard work and you have to stay focused on the task at hand you know like i have to always think okay First day of rehearsal, meet, greet. Next day, who is this music director here on time? Okay, go work with this. I'm not thinking at that time, okay, this kid here will be this by the time they're 20. No, I'm not thinking. I'm trying to get the show opened before yeah. the audience comes in. I want the parents to be happy and not disgruntled. Like, what did you do? What is this? <laughs> I, never, I never, ever heard that. I never heard that. So, but we were the first to do disney high school musical i believe in the state of florida like when it first came out it was a huge hit for disney on tv and only because of my affiliations here in new york that i knew that the rights had come out because i overheard some other producers talking about it at a conference so i asked one of them i was like hey i want to do disney high school musical and that's when you know the right people you know then you can get something done and we were the first organization in florida to produce it so it was a big deal we had 120 kids came out and auditioned 
and I think 85 ended up doing it. And I had three different casts. I had three different casts. I was like, and I don't, I'm not the kind of person, I know the purpose of understudies and whatever, but I like to give everybody an opportunity to do it. So sure. I, that's why we had three different casts. It was, it was a lot of talent. And I was like, I'm not just gonna have one cast to do all of this. So, yeah. You have way more energy than I do <laughs> to do three different casts of 85 kids. I had it at that time. That was a while ago. <laughs> I don't know if I can put it down. We're actually prepping for Shrek Jr. now, and I'm trying to find a staff to put it together for me because I don't want to handle the whole thing like that. It's a lot of work. Well, well maybe one of our listeners are like, oh, I could uh, give you a hand if they're in Florida. So, uh, yeah. you know, reach out to the, the theater company. And yes, yes. Yeah. Even, even now, the email is stageaurora at hotmail.com, or you can go to the website, stageaurora.org, and there's an a email tab on there is contact at stageaurora.org. So, yes. Perfect. Well, let's see what happens when we get this out there. And, and, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so, yeah. You've, you've got an upcoming performance, I believe, of, of the show Dinner with uh, Booker T. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I was in Milwaukee at Milwaukee Repertory doing uh, The Color Purple. And we were in rehearsals. It was a payday. I had just, we had dinner break and I just decided to walk back to my room and I, just to deposit, e-deposit the check into my account or whatever. And I was sitting on the room floor and I just flipped on the TV and I stopped it on the PBS channel because it was airing a black and white documentary and it was the Roosevelt's, Ken Burns' The Roosevelt's. The moments that I was in there, they talked about in 1901, Booker T. Washington was the first Negro to dine at the White House with Theodore Roosevelt and da, 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 and the Southern uproar and this and that. And my ears went, doo, doo, doo. And I was like, what is this? And it was just the way that they put that segment together was just, it just reached it. That's when I like to think that the seed was planted in me. I knew that I had to turn this into a work, a theatrical work. So the first phase of it, I went back to the theater um, after the dinner break, went back to rehearsal, and I started researching the whole thing on their computers while I would be at the theater. And it was actually called The Dinner. It was a six-person cast production piece. And um, we did the run of The Color Purple out there for about three or four months, or what, or three months. And I flew back to New York, and I had only started the research of it. But some type of way, there was a uh, notice that something popped up on my page. I can't remember how it happened, but it was advertising the Midtown International Theater Festival. And I just thought to myself, I was like, oh, they probably already have all, all of their plays already in the festival. So I decided to email them anyway, and I didn't even have a script. I didn't, I just had pages of research. <laughs> I just had pages of research, and I was like, okay. So then... I got a response. Like I didn't really think to get a response. And the response was, yes, all the slots are full, but we'll keep you on the waiting list or whatever. Yeah. So then two or three days later, somebody dropped out and I got another notification. Oh, we just lost these slots. Do you want these times? But you'll have to make the script longer. Like I had pages to read, so I knew that it was not a script. <laughs> and so I wrote back, yes, I think that's when they wrote back, okay, but you'll have to make the script longer. So then I started all this research. And like I said, it was um, six person cast. And so, long story short, after that, and I didn't realize it, but it was a festival. I didn't realize that critics would be coming. Like, I don't know, my head was not in, yeah. in that area at all. I wasn't thinking that at all. And when I got to the theater, that after we had open, guys, the guys in the dressing room was like, oh, Daryl, did you know we got a review? And I was like, what? We got a, what? I said, oh my God, no. And, uh, but I knew it was riveting material. So I wasn't too worried about it when you hear the work itself is based on historical documents and it's shocking. It is just so the hatred and evil that was like spread because a black man and a white man had dinner together was just shocking. And so I submitted it moving forward. I submitted it to the National Black Theater Festival at the end of 2018 or the beginning of 2019. And they reached out to me and asked me, did I ever consider converting it into a one-man show. 
Mm. And because I wanted to be in the festival, that's a pretty prestigious festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina every two years. And I said, yeah. And so then I, they asked me to like put a new video together and show, give us an idea of how it would work. So I had to throw this stuff together. I had to improvise the scenes. I went, I went to one of the rehearsal rooms at Ripley Greer Pearl Studios. And I just kept like improvising. I tried to go by the dialogue as much as I knew. And I pieced it all together, sent to them. And then I got accepted into the festival. And that's what started this whole one man show journey thing from me being out there. I love how you can just trace the steps and progress of something that was meant to be. I just happened to go back to my room on dinner break, you know, and yeah. I'm looking at, let me, oh, let me stop the TV on this channel. And those few minutes that I was in the room, you're talking about Booker T. Washington and Theodore Roosevelt. And I was like, wow, that from that moment on, it just stirred. And so now before uh, COVID, the pandemic began, it was supposed to play the Sheen Center in New York and it was supposed to play a huge church, AME church here in New York. Both of those got postponed, mm -hmm. but then I got other bookings down in Florida. So I've done, I performed it at uh, Emerald Coast Theater in Miramar Beach, Florida, Amelia Musical Playhouse in Amelia Islands in Jacksonville, Florida, at Stage Aurora, my home city. And that's it. Now we're playing Mad Cow Theater in Orlando. And that actually is opening next Friday, February 18th, <clears throat> and running through February 27th. Very cool, very cool. Uh, I'd love to, we have listeners all over the world, the UK, Canada, yeah. Australia, et cetera. And I, I've heard of Booker T. Washington up in Canada, but I don't really know yeah. anything about him. So if you could tell us just a little bit about him, because I'm, you know, people in the UK might never have heard of him, where, you know, my proximity to the state closer. <laughs> yes, Booker T. Washington was born in slavery, and all of this is in my show. And the show is actually based on his autobiography, Up From mm -hmm. Slavery. So he's talking about how he was born in slavery. He was biracial, his mother was a slave, his father was a white man whom he never knew. That's actual dialogue from the show. But being born in slavery, he was working in the coal mines one day, and he overheard two coal miners talking about a school that was far away that taught colored boys and girls how to read. And he was he had this fascination with education and trying to learn to read. And so he strategized this plan at a young age, very young age. And there was this woman in, in the town, uh, Mrs. Ruffner. Uh, I, play, I play 14 characters in the show. It's making me think about the show. <laughs> and Mrs. Ruffner was very strict with the boys who would serve her, the boys that came to work for her. And he hated the coal mines. He only cared about an education. So he begged his mom to go to Mrs. Ruffner for this job that she was, she had run another boy away. <laughs> like she was just so strict. She just, people, they were like, oh my God, can't work for this woman, you know? <laughs> and so he said that she ended up being one of his very best friends because she was so strict. And what happened when he started for Hampton, which is the school where he started his education, they were talking about Hampton, Hampton Normal and Institutes, which is now Hampton University. But um, when he got there, he actually, he was living in Malden and he had to travel 500 miles to Hampton. He begged rise in both cars and wagons. It sounds like I'm quoting Dial Out because I am. <laughs> so, but it's so descriptive because once he got there, he hadn't, he had no money. He had no, he was a slave, honestly, he had no money. He had to sleep under a sidewalk because he had no money for housing. I mean, for days, for days. And he said he woke up in the morning, realized that he was near a ship and he went to the ship and asked the captain, could he help unload the cargo for money to buy food. And the captain let him do that for a number of days. He saved his money. He continued on to Hampton and he finally got to Hampton. Of course, he was dirty. He had been sleeping on the sidewalk. He said the head teacher just looked at him like, you know, like, you know, what in the world? You know, she didn't say it like that, but like, what in the, who are you? Why are you here? You know? And so she 
told him to go stand in another room. Like, and he said he was so upset because he saw all the other students just coming in, going to class, but he had to go stand in this room. She went over to the room minutes later and said, here's a broom, sweep the room. And he said he knew, he knew this was his examination into the school. And he knew because of Mrs. Ruffner, how she always had him sweeping and cleaning her house. Like he knew how to clean it. So he didn't sweep it not just one time, he swept it two, three times. Then he took the dusting cloth and he went over it four times. He, she came back in, she tested the furniture and everything to see it. And she was like, oh, you'll do well for this institution. He became the school janitor. And that's how he paid through school. And one of the teachers there taught him how to orate, how to be a speaker. So there was a general there who had been contacted by a school over in Tuskegee that they were looking for a white man to come start the school in Tuskegee, uh, Alabama. And the general wrote back and said, well, I don't know a white man, I know a colored man, if you would be willing to take a colored man, I know, know one whom I'd like to recommend. And he told him Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington agreed to go give it a, a try. And it was just one thing after another. He went to Tuskegee. Of, of course, he was very learned in school for them to want to recommend him, very responsible. And he started Tuskegee, which is now Tuskegee University. He started that in a hen hack in an old dilapidated church. It actually says when it rained, it would rain so badly inside the building that one of the students would have to very kindly leave his lessons and hold an umbrella over Mr. Washington while he listened to the recitations of the other ones, others. So all of these things, this was putting him in the limelight, you know, the, all of these obstacles, which I don't even think when I think about the autobiography, he doesn't, he didn't look at any of it as a hindrance. He didn't look at poverty as a hindrance. He didn't look at any of these issues as obstacles. They made him strong and made him who he became to be. And because he was getting this notoriety for starting the school, for being learned and being able to speak. He got invited to speak at what's called the Atlanta Exposition. He gave what is known as the Atlanta Compromise speech. Mm. That speech alone just went, we, what we would say today, viral. It went viral. It just caught fire. And he, from that point on, he had been, been in, he was being invited to dine with all types of dignitaries and presidents and leaders. And that's how he got invited to the White House with President Theodore Roosevelt. And they were there and they, he just calmly asked him, would he like to stay for dinner? He stayed for dinner, but a reporter saw the guest list and printed it the next day. Booker T. Washington of Tuskegee, Alabama, dined at the White House last night. Yeah. And that just went crazy. And that's, there's the section of the show that's, I've never had anyone to tell me personally that they don't like this section or, or they are offended by it. But I had a critic, she did not mention that. She just said, in the, she said, I did a very earnest job as Washington, but she said, but I had to ask my colleagues, why is this particular, you know, section in the show and da, 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 but it's there for a reason. And if you know the poem, like I won't mention the poem, but there's a poem that was literally printed in newspapers about a black man, which they called them Negroes, then a Negro and a white man dining together. That is very disgusting. It is absolutely horrifying, the language. And, but then, you know, he's still, traveled on his journey of life, educating, speaking to groups of people. And all the while, because he had the right network, he was able to raise money. And people, I think Carnegie was one, he may have donated like $10,000 to build a building, building on the campus of Tuskegee. So he knew the people that could help him get to where he was and that's what he and what he needed and that's what he did. So in, in long story short, um, Booker T. Washington was a slave. He became the, I would say the leading Negro speaker for the black race, for the Negro race, just from his education and prominence that he gained in his life by meeting the different leaders and people that could help catapult him to success to some degree so and then the thing about that and i think we all 
have, don't worry, I, I'll call them a thorn in the flesh. You know, everybody doesn't like everybody. So even people of the Negro race didn't like him. They called him a sellout, you know, that he, you know, so it's just never a, a, a easy task of just trying to attain what you believe you should be doing. But I, I what I love about it is when I first uh, started reading his autobiography, I just cannot believe you know, just to see to when I that he had to sleep under a sidewalk for days, that he had to he had no money to go to school, he had to sleep sweep this room. But because he knew Mrs. Ruffner, she was very strict with her cleaning. He knew properly how to clean the room, and he wasn't afraid of her. And he does list her as being one of his his best friends. So I I think the way he chose to look at everything makes him a hero to many people. And because he started Tuskegee, it was somewhat already intact, but he developed Tuskegee University to what it is today, the earlier stages of it. And because of that, I think that's why a lot of the HBCUs came into existence, the historical black colleges and universities. And they do talk about, I never really understood before I graduated from University of Florida, I studied, I, I went to Florida A&M University and the A&M is agricultural and mechanical. And I never really like put it all together until now from working on this project, you know, it's Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. So working with your hands, learning the vocations, learning the professions, domestic servants, all of that. He, he was, that was his thing to me. I can't say that he was against education because how can you start a school, develop a school and you're against education? He just believed in what was close to you is that you have your hands work, you know, work, get it however you need to get it. That's how, how I look at it. But you had the opposers like W.B. Du Bois. He had his opinions about Booker T. Washington. And I've never really delved all into all of that. And sometimes somebody, I do a talk back after the shows and they like to ask, oh, what about W.B. Du Bois? And I'm like, I only focused on his autobiography up from slavery. That's based on that. I say, I don't get into all of that. It's a lot of debate, a lot of uh, controversy. I only chose to work on his up from slavery autobiography because it's uplifting and we need a lot of uplifting works. It doesn't always have to be about fights and arguments and what does this person believe and why and what does she say and who said that? And I, I, there's enough of that. You can pick up the daily newspaper and read all of that, you know? Or you can flip on the TV and hear it on every news break in the commercials. I don't need any more of that. So that's what I chose because I do have people that ask that but when I answer with the remarks of what I, that I just spoke, they don't have anything else to say. <laughs> like, you know, it's not nothing else for you to say because I'm not gonna get into that with you, so. Mm -hmm. the, the show sounds incredible. And I think everyone should, if if you have the opportunity to be down in, in Florida in, yes, yes. To, to check it out. Um, so where where is it again and, and when is it running? It is at what's known as Mad Cow Theater. It's located in Orlando, Central Florida, in Orlando, downtown Orlando, I believe, off of Church Street. And the first preview is next Thursday, February 17th, and it runs the 18th, 19th, and 20th, and then the second weekend as well, 25th, 26th, 27th. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the next two weekends in Orlando, Florida. Congratulations on the show, on the, the theater company, on on yeah. everything you've done. Um, it's, it's thank you for coming on today and, and introducing myself and, and the rest of the world to you yeah. and, and and the great things you've done. Um, so. Thank you, I appreciate this opportunity. We have to keep in touch, so I would love to come back. Yeah, you know, for any sure. other interviews. So definitely, definitely, it's been a blast. Awesome, thank you. But before we go, before we end yeah. the interview, I always ask three questions of my guests. There's yeah. no right or wrong answer, but yes. one of them we may judge you on a little bit. Well, the audience may judge you. I never judge, but we'll, we'll see what you say. All right, we'll give you an easy one to start with. What creator or team within musical theater has had a great influence on you? Now, it could be a composer, lyricist, director, a producer, actor, stage manager, or, you know, it could be somebody famous or not famous, like a teacher. Has there anybody been anybody who's, you know, had a good influence on you? Sometimes, because I think I've kind of been asked this before, you know, I was um, 
admitted to what was, they've ended it now, but it was called Lincoln Center Director's Lab. And we had to answer the same question. <clears throat> and, you know, as I said earlier, I never really had, I would say in my childhood, was not exposed to anything that led me to want to be an actor or introduced me to musical theater, didn't even introduce me to singing. I started singing. I was real shy, but I was in the band in high school. But my 12th grade year, I decided to enter the high school talent show. And my I I was I didn't even sing around like my family, like my parents. So they would leave the house to go somewhere and I would just blast down the walls. And I remember coming home one day and I was like, Mom, I'm going to enter the talent show. This is my 12th grade year. And she said, and do what? I said, sing. And so my mom was my first audition. I, she made me audition for her. I had to sing for her in the house to the record player. And she was like, oh, I didn't know you could sing. And then I actually won the talent show. So I actually won. And then I would say that was the start of it. I think Mrs. Parker, her just her comments were like, Daryl, you ever thought about, even though uh, just that comment alone, and she, I, even though I wanted to be in the drama club, I really did nothing with them. Mm -hmm. And then... It was, just, I would say somewhere up in there where where my gift was being exposed to me, I, I'll put it that way. And then at the time, The Wiz was becoming popular. I think the Broadway musical, my dad used to get these magazines, Jet Magazine and Epic Magazine. And I, I would always flip through to, to look at the entertainment section. I remember seeing the, uh, these black characters that look like Dorothy, the Wizard of Oz. Like, I, you know, I was just trying to put it all together and they were black. And I was like, wow, oh, that's Dorothy. And then I would look at the makeup on the Scarecrow's face and the Tin Man with silver. And I was like, this is like the Wizard of Oz, you know. And then the Michael Jackson, Diana Ross movie came out. So all of that was in the back of my head. And I would say that was like, okay, there's something here and some exposure to the entertainment industry yeah nice i you know lots of people you know give famous people like sondheim or lin-manuel or things like that but i yeah. love when people choose like their mom or, or a school teacher or somebody the unsung heroes of, of that yeah. will never get the recognition they don't made right. a huge difference in, in right because that you're right because i definitely don't have a songwriting team i i wouldn't know <laughs> And that's not, you know, to be insulting to anyone. I just yeah. was not opposed to that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Correct answer. One point. So awesome. Good start yeah. so far. Okay. So <laughs> I have, this one's going to be, usually I, I have the second question, but I got a two, two A and two B. So two mm -hmm. A is um, architecturally, what is your favorite theater that you've been in? Like you've probably seen lots of theaters and you go, Ooh, as an architectural background, which ones have you seen? And go, I like that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a difficult question. Um, yep. You know, it's really, the Broadway houses are so old, so yeah. I can't even, some of them are large. Um, I can't even say like <laughs> any of them. I could say one on size though. I would, I would say one that struck me being large was music theater of wichita it was so huge when i walked out on that stage i was like oh my god it was just huge. <laughs> it was i think they seat 2200 people i think wow. it was just huge and i was like it didn't really dawn on me until i saw it you know i'm used to being in front of large audiences but to see one that large uh that was and now i've been in others that large but still yeah. And then I remember the first job that I booked out of New York was Blackbirds of Broadway. It was a European tour and we were touring Germany. Mm. I believe it may have been Cologne, but we played at Philharmonic Hall and my mic went out oh, like during the last number. And But it was a hall that was sloped very, it was really like a concert hall mm -hmm. and it sloped so deeply. And but everybody can still hear me. And that, that's something that I think about the design of that hall. Yeah. So those kind of are the ones that popped out and then all the regional theaters. 
there are great venues, but you know, I just, I don't know that I could say any of them are any better than any other or something like that. So, well, I like how you brought up the, the German one because a lot of the theaters, you know, in Europe were obviously built before technology microphones and you had to sing and it's yeah. such a different it had such a different layout than what yeah. we have now yes yes yeah when the mic went out and you could tell that it went out i was like okay well just keep singing and everybody after the show was over <clears throat> they were like daryl we knew that your mic went out but we could still hear you and that you know and these are like germans and you know just, yeah. and it, it was not a small space either it wasn't so yeah that's, that's very cool. I love that. Um, my second part, which really is just a, a fluff question. Uh, do you think you could still win the gold medal for doing splits today? You know, I, let's see, <laughs> today is Friday. I went to a dance class Wednesday yeah. nights and splits were the stretch. That oh, was yeah. one of the stretches and nobody else in the room could do it, but I still did it nice so, nice gold medals teacher, going your way yeah the teacher even turned to me and was like what you know <laughs> i still do it at home at in in my apartment i still i'll sit on the floor in a heartbeat yeah. and i i like i just and because i'm aging you know we're all maturing yeah. and if i'm always afraid if i don't stretch out stay stretched that my muscles will tighten and i just don't want to be like that you know so yeah and you never know, you get that call. Somebody may call and say, Daryl, you still do a split? Like, yes, sure. Mm -hmm. That's fine. <laughs> well, the job is $10,000. Okay, I will split right there. I'll be right there. Here we go. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Bonus points for still being able to do the splits. So yeah. an extra yeah. point for that. On both sides, left side and right oh, side. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> Save my life. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, final question. Yeah. Food in the theater or cell phones in the theater? Which is worse? Food in the theater. Okay. Have you have got an experience with that? I don't have any experience with that. Well, actually, one of the large venues in Jacksonville, um, the Florida theater is a 1900 seat venue and my show Fred House was playing there mm -hmm. and we had a dinner break and some of the cast decided to go to Burger King. And they walked through the stage door and walked across the stage with their food and this particular venue has a union crew, mm -hmm. so they got blasted out and I think they threw their food in the garbage. Oh wow and I stayed out of it because. You know, they always say that I'm a taskmaster and I mean, but I'm used to this kind of stuff. So then you get a chance to experience from someone else. And I was like, you will learn eventually that I do know what I'm talking about, you know. And, um, but that was so long ago. That was really like 20 years ago. And I say cell phones because we're living in a world of social media now. And sometimes I would know, like when Godspell was on Broadway, the revival, not too many years ago i think there was a portion like of the show where they were encouraged to take out their phones and post on social media yeah. make god spill take a picture of it or whatever da, da 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 so i actually have a portion of a show that i'm working on that i really want to incorporate some modern technology in it to where audience it would have to go through a feeder before it gets on stage yes but yes you know but um i think that would be great to hear and to have like um just to get feedback from the audience to be able to put into yeah. production especially to help get the word out to market the word so because you know actors nowadays are booking jobs because they have two million followers yeah so I, I hope to have two million followers <laughs> and we'll, we'll both have a lot of followers after this so yeah oh for sure well i'm gonna make sure everybody knows about your twitter account and all those things so they can yes. follow you but yes. Yeah, I, I, it's very cool when when shows incorporate the audience and the technology in um, that I have no problem with. It's when they just bring out their cell phones and answer them. That's, in the the show. Yeah. That's yes. a whole different story. So I haven't I, I can't say that I've experienced that in anything that I've done in live theater. 
I know that other artists have. I think that Lawrence Fishburne stopped the show one time because somebody's phone or whatever. Like yeah. you hear different stories of the different yeah. celebrities that do that. So, but I have not had that. So I well, keep praying that that never. Yes, happens. knock on wood, it never happens to you, and I hope <laughs> hope it never does. Um, right, I, right. Awesome. So, all correct answers. You got four out of three points. Congratulations. Oh wow! Um, great. No prizes. I got, I got nothing. That's, but okay. you have bragging rights for whatever you want to use as bragging yeah, rights. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Daryl, again, thank you so much for coming on, talking to, to myself and the expo you know, letting the world know about you, what you yeah. do, and all the fantastic thank things. You. Thank you. Thank no, you. No problem. All right. We were just speaking with uh, Daryl uh, Ruben Hall, uh, artistic director, writer, actor, everything that you could, and supporter of uh, youth theater in Florida. Tune in next week as we'll speak with another guest or guests about their life, love, and passion that is musical theater. I'm your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff, and until next time, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs>